Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So welcome back to the Stompcast. Uh, you're joining us with part two and with Reese Stevenson. We're wandering through, we're, which park are we in? We're in Peel Park. Peel Park, yes. We're in, we're in Manchester, Salford. Yeah. in Salford. It's a lovely day, the sun's shining. So wherever you are, if you're continuing your walk from part one or you're starting again today on a new stomp, I hope you enjoy it. Have a listen and we're going to get cracking. Reese, we have, uh, well, there's quite a lot of things actually, I, when I think about you, that we actually have that are very big similarities and you know, connections in different ways. One interesting one is that you were actually born at Lewisham Hospital, isn't that right? Yeah. Which is, which is fascinating, because I worked at Lewisham Hospital. Oh. I mean, and listen, I, I mean, you weren't born when I... No, <laughs> I no, no, I wasn't. I'm not showing you up for your age, but I mean, we are very similar. <laughs> but, but I mean, isn't it just weird how small the world is? Like, so the ward that you would have been born on, yeah. I worked as as a, as a junior doctor. That I is... just start, find those kind of thing, little, like, coincidences like crazy that's really weird because like Lewisham Hospital is one of the things where I feel such familiarity to it but I don't think I've stepped foot in there since I was born yeah I just know that's where I started everything life life so when I hear of Lewisham Hospital I'm a bit like I just feel like a, like a warmness or warmth to it because that's that's where it, it all began do you know it's crazy some of the midwives there have been there for so so long a shout out to Lewisham Hospital midwives that one of them could actually have delivered you and then work with me isn't that really no weird no way the some of the consultants have been there for so so long that's crazy they quite literally probably were on shift I would I would, Isn't that weird? I would love to find who the midwife is. If you could that. find out who the midwife is, I'll, I'll, I'll could then tell you if I've worked with them or not. Definitely, That's I'll find cool. it and make her apologise for quite... the people that I've annoyed. Like she's, <laughs> I think, she's the reason for I it. think she'd feel pretty proud, actually, <laughs> I would say. Because I mean, there was, wasn't there a time where Lucian Hospital was going to close or something? Yes, people... and thank goodness it hasn't. I mean, look yeah. at the pandemic. and I mean, the, I think it's a fantastic hospital. I mean, I wouldn't have stayed there so long if I didn't think it was. And the mm. way that it's run, the doctors and stuff there. So I'd love to ask you a little bit about your... Uh, your upbringing and mm. what it was like living because you know you live here in Manchester now what was it like growing up in in London what mm. were your experiences and the things that really led you because you've had a very interesting career Thank leading you. it even up to now so how and why really what what was the kind of factors that led you to being an actor and to presenting and all the things you do now so I lived in New Cross which is like South London I believe and um and then we moved to Romford when I was about three I worked in a sexual health clinic in New Cross did you <laughs> wow the, this is weird now all the, I went to the no I didn't um <laughs> they told me not. I'll find out and see uh, if you've seen yeah. it <laughs> we'll play the same game as Reason the midwife yeah. um so then we moved we moved to Romford and that's that's where I say I grew up really um that's what I remember live like I remember snippets of, of New Cross but not really and um we grew up there and in school I was very much, I was just like a very normal kid. I, you know, I played, I was very much an imaginative child. So when, like in the playground where boys would be playing football, I was with my friends playing superheroes or Pokemon. And I was always one who like decided the characters. I was like, right, you're this person, you're that. My power's this. You can't have that power. It's too close to mine. So you're gonna have to switch it up. And we do all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was, so I, I kind of think back on like, maybe my acting career started all the way back then. Cause I was always doing plays in, in, 
you know, in the playground and we'll be making stuff up for ourselves. And um, drama happened because I was in year... F I, was in, I did it in year three, mm. but because I was like young, we was, I was a part of the chorus, I didn't really have that much fun with it. And then I got to year five and my mum went, you're doing, you're doing drama. And I went, why? And she's like, you're not doing anything. You're just at home, you're watching TV. You know, you, you need to do some like extracurricular activities. And I was like, oh, whatever. So we went and I remember the teacher went, right, the play we're doing is we're doing a musical of My Fair Lady. And I was yeah. like, never heard of that in my life. My dad had heard of it. It was like, oh, it's based off this uh, book called Pyg Pygmalion or something like that. And, and I was like, I've never heard of it. And so we all watched the film. And I'm like, I don't know how she got a bunch of 10-year-olds to sit down and watch My Fair Lady. Good effort. Good effort. I'm but sorry, she good did. And we sat there and we enjoyed that. It's not even like we went to like, a private school where that was normal. Yeah. It was normal, you know, normal primary school. And we watched it and I remember going like, that Higgins guy, I like him. He's arrogant and pompous and I want that. <laughs> and so I remember going up for like my audition, the first time I ever auditioned for like a main role. And she went, who do you want to play? And I went, Professor Higgins. She went, anyone else? No. You don't want to do anything else? Like, I, no. I heard this story about you. So you basically were like, do you know what? I'm going all or nothing. You're basically all or were, nothing. There's a there's a swear or bust, poor bust, basically. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm going in. Yeah, I'm going in. So I did that, and, and that was that was where my love of, of performing and acting came from. And then, um, so it was always from there. But then when I got to um, when I got to sixth form, I decided I wanted to be a doctor. So I kind of I'd done well in GCSEs, and I thought, yeah, I'm going I'll, for it. I'll, I'll go for it. And so, you know, I did my thing and worked really hard and A-levels was tough and I didn't get the grades for that. So I went to University of Westminster to do human and medical science. And by that point, I hadn't done drama in two years. I kind of like put it away and thought, you know, that was fun. And I don't, I think maybe that was just that, for that part of my life and I need to do this. And um, I rediscovered drama and musical theatre in uni. And it was honestly the saving grace for my uni experience. I'd be so stressed with work. And then I'd, I'd escape with these songs and stuff and loved it. And then in like second year, I realized I didn't want to do medicine. I didn't want to go for it. Because mm -hmm. I think I wanted it more for the, the title. The of natural being the passion. Yeah. The natural passion. I yeah, thought sure. that's wrong. Sure, sure, there sure. are people out there like you and others who do it for, for the actual passion of, of helping and healing people. Because it's going to be work all the time. Like, mm. It's not like I'm going to work hard in uni and then I can be a doctor. It's all easy. It gets harder yeah. Once, yeah. You're, once you're qualified. And I thought, I don't think that's actually what I'm cut out for. Um, or what suits me best. And so then I decided, well, I think the main thing was there was a man in university who was like in his early 50s and he was still trying to get into medical school. Wow. Now, I don't know if it was because he had a career change or if yeah. he'd been trying that for years and years and years. But I sat there and went, I don't want that. Mm. And I thought I'd rather... And respect to him, fair play. Respect Absolute to him, fair play. That's, that's what he wants. He's respect, going for yeah. it. But it's not what I want. Yeah. And I thought if I, it, I'd rather be that going for someone I do want, which is performing. Yeah, that makes sense. And that that makes so, sense. So that's what we've got to follow was... your pattern. And, and it doesn't matter what your passion is in life or what your, what your purpose is. You just got to find it and go for it. Like it doesn't matter. Mm. I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you're doing something you enjoy, you're going to a probably be able to do it. And secondly, you probably be pretty good at it because you enjoy it. You care about it because you know, you're going to get back. You're going to, you know, you don't go to med school and suddenly you're like, you can just run around the wards and boss it all. You're, you've got to go through all the failures and trials, tribulations that get you to that position and it's the same as any anything you've got to work at things but if you enjoy it when you get the knockbacks mm. keep going you have to enjoy failing at it as well as succeeding in it and i think that's what makes a difference between what truly is a passion for you and what isn't and i was very lucky as well that my parents and my upbringing they were never they were never overly strict they were you know 
Caribbean households, so it was strict enough in terms of if I wanted to go out, I had to make a spreadsheet and really try and convince them. Um, <laughs> but like, by the time I got to about sixth form when I was 17, like my mum and dad, they just chilled out. I remember when I realised that, it's like I came back late once and didn't tell them I was coming back late. And by late, I mean like half 11. Yeah. And I came back thinking I was going to get told off. Mum was just like, oh, hey. I was like, oh, so I can do this now. Right. All right. So these are now the new parameters of this I, relationship. The goalposts. The goal yeah, they moved. moved it. So they were, they were always really fair with things. And also in terms of like the whole thing about like boys not being taught to cry and stuff, they were very, they weren't like that at all. Mm. They were very kind of, they just let me be who I was. I never felt pressure to try and be mm. a kind of son that they needed to be. It, they always gave me the sense that the son I was was enough. Mm. And that, that's a really special thing. And I think I was very fortunate to have that kind of experience like as, a, as a child. Yeah, they're great. I mean, they're, they're, they're really awesome. My mum's, um, she was a teacher at my school, which was, uh, had its own challenges um, when she gave friends my detention. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't tell her to do it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't guys. do it. And then my dad uh, was a detective. Oh, so, wow. That is interesting. Yeah, but it was a fraud, though. Everyone always thinks it's like... Murder scenes. Murder scenes, you case know, files, like, like, line of, yeah, like, like line of duty or stuff. I'm like, nah, it's not that. It's not that deep, guys, but it's still so, pretty cool. Do you think that your mum's experience as a teacher helped to see, I guess, the benefits of kind of finding a balance between being a strict parent, but also being your friend? I think so. Well, my mum was never my friend. She would never, she would never call her. She <laughs> might do it now, but when I was growing up, she never, she was that kind of thing. I was like, I'm your mum, I'm not your friend. Yeah. Which yeah, I'm okay. very much, I, I think I definitely agree with. I think there's a difference between a friendship is something that a parent's not there for. They're there to love you and give you support and be gentle and kind. You don't, I mean, you don't have to be a person's friend to, show them love and joy it's, it's a, just a different form of it yeah. but um yeah i think teach i think the thing that teaching did for her was it just kind of taught her about what the, the new generation that she didn't know much about you know the only kids she knew were the kids that i brought home as friends and then suddenly when she went to a school and she actually got to see how kids are okay yeah and it was a huge culture shock for her i remember she came back after her first day and she was mortified i was like what's wrong what's wrong and she went the kids swear so much. I went, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> They've been doing that since year four. I don't know. Yeah. I know what else to tell you, Mum. Yeah. But she was so... I remember it was like her the face was swear. white. She couldn't believe oh it. Gosh. She couldn't believe it. Because where she's from, Jamaica, like, you wouldn't get that. Or you yeah. wouldn't do it in front of a teacher. Yeah. And these kids just like swearing, not caring. And my mum was like, I can't believe this. I thought, Mum, you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> you wait. I'm, I imagine now it brushes off her shoulders. Oh, yeah. Like... She's like, whatever now. But before then, yeah, she was so she was so wide-eyed to it all. It was it was so funny. Talk to me about um, about religion because it's a big part of your life now. Mm. Is that fair to say? Always. Has it always been the case? Yeah, has always, it always, always been the case? Yeah, well, my mum. So is it your family that gave you that contract with, the, with religion, or you know, where, yeah? How did it? How was it for you growing up? Was the times you're like, you know, I I feel that I am Christian, I am religious, or and the times where you kind of question that, or were you always I've, um, this is me. This is how I, I, I really relate to this. this I've is me. always been around. I've always been around God. I've always been around Christianity. Um, I wasn't always a Christian, but that's in the sense that just because you're born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. No. Uh, it's like someone said. It was like someone said something like, uh, "Being born to a Christian family doesn't make you any more of a Christian than being born in the garage makes you a car." <laughs> so I was that's like, a good analogy, but uh, absolutely makes sense. Yeah, so I was like, oh, "Okay, cool." But I, yeah, so church was always a normal thing about my life. Um, so my mum was always a big church goer before I was born. 
Um, so we've grown up in that the whole time. So I've never known a time in my life where I didn't go to church because I didn't want to go anymore because it just wasn't part of what we did. So there's always, that's always been a part of what I did. But I became, I took hold of my faith at like 15. Mm. And that was when I started going to like youth clubs and stuff. So you, you know, you go What do you mean? But why, why at what was it at 15 that made you like kind of connect further with it? Because when you're, when you're a child, you go to Sunday school and everything. And so like to you, church is just something that you do. It's part of, it's part of your everyday routine. Like mom takes me to church, I go to church. I'm not arguing with that. So you do it, you do it, you do it. And then when you get to about 12 and stuff, that's when you start to question like, well, why am I here? Why am I going to church? And so good churches have a really good youth program mm -hmm. as well as like Sunday school. So Sunday schools, when you're like primary school and stuff, and you learn about Bible stories and, and blah, blah, blah. And then youth is where you go, where you talk about it now. Like what is, what is this religion that I'm following? What is this faith? Why am I doing it? How does it apply to my everyday now? Is it archaic? Is there still a use for it? And that's where we have those discussions. And that's where I actually get to speak and meet other kids my age who grew up in Christian families, which is so important. And so some people won't know, but there are loads of like Christian camps that happen throughout, throughout the year, mostly in summer. There are things like, there was a thing called Soul Survivor, which used to happen in a while. There's one called Davis 10, one called New Wine. And this is where like loads of like Christian families and young people go together and they, and they just meet and they worship and they kind of share stories. And it's a really amazing thing just to remind you that you're not alone in that because especially when you go to, I went to like a non-Christian school for most of my life and you always felt like the only one and you had to kind of keep it under wraps. So when you were able to kind of just talk about it normally, it was a really empowering thing. And so at 15, I think was, it was because I'd gone with my, my godmum to her church for a special service. And the guy was talking about giving, you know, giving your life to Jesus and really taking a, a stand in your faith and being like, I'm a Christian and I want people to know this. And in that time, I remember I sat down and I went, oh, I've never, I've never actually affirmed it for myself in front of people. I've just always assumed that I am one because I'm with my family. So I remember that moment he was like, if you are, stand up. So I stood up and then we kind of walked down. They like congratulate us for being brave enough to kind of say that we want to take a stand for it. And they gave us like, look, like reading material and like a Bible if we didn't have one, mm. which I already had. And then that's when I just kind of went, right, I'm taking it more seriously now. It's, it's, it's a part of me and it's not something that's, that's, happen, that's, being, that's happening to me. It's something I'm embracing. And my, my favorite analogy of it is um, when you grow up in a Christian family, God is like, he's like an uncle that comes and visits your home and he comes to see your mum and dad and you're running upstairs to go play your video games. And he's always like trying to say hi to you. And you're like, hey, hi, hi. And, and you, you run off and you like, you don't bother about it. Cause you're like, he's not here for me. And then, and it's always like that for a while. And then as you get older, God starts to come to see you and you actually start having more conversations with him. And then over time it becomes less of this like sporadic uncle who would see your parents, but actually then becomes your friend who you actually have visit you now. And you have those conversations and you now build a relationship with him. And that's how, it is, that's how I feel it's like. Because as a kid, you're like, you don't really understand what it, what it is really. And then as you get older and you start to understand it, you either then go, yeah, this is for me, or actually, sorry, mum, dad, but it's not. I just don't think and you're And you have to make it. that choice. And you've got to make that choice. And your parents have to be strong enough to accept whatever decision you take. Yeah. And it's hard. It's really hard. I think as a, if I'm a father and I have a kid and they decide actually they don't, they don't think it's for them. That's going to be a hard thing to take, but I'm going to have to respect that and, you know, let them be and do their thing and just, you know, 
pray for them. That's the only thing I can do. That you know, whatever they're doing in life, they're going to be safe and they're going to be they're going to be happy. So it's um it's always been a big thing for me. And when I came to Manchester, the first priority I did was look for a church. I thought I need to find that because that's where I want to get the community. And well, it's so much more than just the religion. It is the community mm-hmm. that comes. You've got like-minded people who come together and they practice in many senses, whether you identify religion or not, you're practicing mm. mindfulness, spirituality, mm. your connection with your fellow people and like-mindedness as well. There's something really powerful about feeling. When we talked about loneliness at the start of part one, yeah. there's nothing more powerful, powerful than feeling that you belong. Yes. And the big thing as well, which is um, the pastor of the church I go to now is really big on, Ruben Martin is that as a church you need to you need to interact with the community you need to yeah. serve the community that's what it's about Christianity is about service it's not a country club where you all come on Sunday which many churches I think fall into you come on Sunday you sing some nice songs kumbaya yourselves out and then you go home have a Sunday roast and like do your week and do the same thing it's not that church is not a thing where you just go you get a little sermon, you've got to contribute as well. Mm-hmm. Some people see church almost like you're coming to see a show and the people on stage are the actors. No, we're all actors. Mm-hmm. We're all actors, we're all the stagehands, we're all a part of what's going on. And so it's a lot about, it's a lot about service as well. Every community should know where their church is because the church is about it. You know, and that's what it should be. The church should be doing things where it's like helping feed the poor, helping uh, look after the homeless, um, it should be like a place where throughout the week, maybe if people are looking to tutor, they open up their doors and allow tutors to come in and tutor kids in the, in the building. It should just be a place of service all the time. And so it should, so if you're going to a place and the person's like, oh yeah, there is a church there, but I don't know much about it. Then that church is kind of failing. It needs to be a part of the community and not doing it in a way to like, we're going to convert everyone. We just want them to know that we're here and what we're about, because that's yeah. what the early church was about in acts where they just they served they didn't go out they preached but they weren't about like trying to get numbers they were just serving people and people responded to that and joined in huge ways and i think if if more churches put their efforts into that and just to service people People will respond to that and come rather than well it's like you said before people these days more than ever expect that if you're going to them you're asking for something yeah i'd love i'd love to and and uh, and, and I just wonder, and I ask this in the, in the most genuine sense, have you ever questioned your faith? And the reason I say that is I, I, I kind of, I look at my own life and I think about times where I maybe have thought about religion and uh, spirituality and, and times where I've been further away. I mean, at the moment, I'm probably, I don't know, I'd like to think there is, but I don't know. And mm. I think the reason that I say that is because, I don't mean to be too dark here, but I have seen some really bad things mm. in my career and moments where I think... How, if there was a God, how would this happen? Why would this be allowed to happen where, you know, a young child has suffered, you know, at the hands of a family or, you know, a, a terrible accident's happened to take away a mother from their children or even the pandemic where people were taken away before their time. Yeah. And even, you know, my own experience of my brother taking his own life. I mean, it's none of that stuff is very easy to sit with when you think about religion and I think that's what I find very hard and I just wonder what a what would you say to that and secondly yeah. have you had moments where you've gone oh gosh this is a bit more than I thought or is this really is this right well so first thing to that question of like answering you know why the horrible things happen in life I don't have the answer for that however I only know what experiences that I've had but yeah I have questioned it and I think I still question it at times where it's kind of for things like why is it that we do 
is, do we have to go to church all the time to be a Christian? There's all these things about sex and marriage, all these kind of things that mm. now the, the whole, that people think is archaic now yeah. and, and those kind of things. So I'm always questioning my faith and always questioning my relationship with God. And actually I question God. Like when, when I pray, it's not always just, hey God, thank you for that. I'm like, God, why is this happening? What's going on? What's up? And sometimes, sometimes I'll shout, sometimes I'll be angry in prayer, which is like all the good things that you can do. Um, the thing about the horrible things that happen to people, I think what we've got to remember is that we, I think we take responsibility as well sometimes for the things that go on. Sometimes human beings do horrible things. And it's awful. And it's all about God's thing is about taking, for me, sometimes taking the horrible things that happen and turn that into something beautiful. A term I always hear is like beauty for ashes. So out of the ashes, you can make something great. So in that way, what happened with your brother, which is horrific and tragic, and I would never wish it on anyone, but that's now inspired you to do this stomp cast. Mm. And that might now help other people mm. who are listening. And it's, and it's almost like you're, you know, what happened to your brother should never have happened, but at least something beautiful can come out of it now in the form of this mm. podcast and the way that people are going to respond to it and then it means that your brother hasn't that we haven't lost your brother for nothing mm. and that his memory can continue on in something that's great and that's my main takeaway from it in terms of of christianity and why horrible things happen it's about how we react to those bad mm. things sometimes sometimes you know those bad things are prevented and sometimes they happen but beauty can come from it and I think that's what I try to take away as a Christian from it. And I think God can prevent things, but God can, God can also help you get through yeah. things as well. He can be a huge, God, he, she, they can be a huge strength to mm. you in what you're going through. When I've gone through, you know, difficult times, I remember my mum had a heart attack. That was terrifying. And just praying to God about yeah. that. And, and coming to, I, had, I remember being at peace. So I thought, you know what, sometimes God, you save people and sometimes you don't mm. and I just need to say now that like I'm trusting you whichever way and that you are good and you are there and I'm just going to rely on you mm. for strength in whatever situation happens yeah. thankfully my mum's still here but it's always one of those things where I remember that was when I questioned I thought like if my mum had died would I have lost my faith because she was my faith yeah she was she gave it to me and then I think that's that's one of the hardest things for some people when they lose the person mm. who was responsible for help cultivating that faith that they have. And then they, it's like they lose the power source to it. Mm. And I remember being terrified of, of that situation. But um, the thing I remember mostly is like when I read uh, the, the Magician's Nephew from the mm. Chronicles of Narnia, and obviously Aslan's like an allegory for Jesus. And the main character, um, his mum is dying. Mm. And he says to Aslan, like, Look, Aslan, I'm, I'm, can you help me? Can you... I don't want mum to die. And he starts mm. breaking down and he's crying. He, didn't, he doesn't hear anything from Aslan. He's like, does Aslan care? And he looks at Aslan and Aslan's crying as well. Yeah. And he realises that Aslan feels everything he's seen. Aslan's yeah. also feeling the sorrow yeah. for what he's losing. And then that kind of changed things for him. But then Aslan did give him something that helped him heal his mother. And so I think another thing is that God feels what we feel. So you feel like, like it's almost think. like he doesn't, it's not always about intervention. Sometimes he is that kind of caring bystander. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes, it's not always intervention. Sometimes he lets things happen because it can, it causes a necessary change in us that might help other people or that might, that might create a really positive thing in the future mm. to come. And, it's, and it's a, it sucks that that happens as a sacrifice. But then again, he sent his son down to sacrifice himself for our sins, whether we believe that or not. But if we're going by like the tradition of God, God's no stranger to sacrifice and loses someone that he loves. Mm. So it's... Um, 
Well, so there's no perfect answer to it, but that's that's my best uh, kind of. Well, I, I actually, I, John, I must say, uh, Reese, I really appreciate your authenticity in that answer and, and your vulnerability in, in, in what you said as well. And I guess I, you know, along with many people maybe listening as well, I, I mean, who knows where we'll end up in terms of what we believe and what we don't believe and mm. what we connect to. But I think as long as we can we can kind of stand by many of the principles that I certainly stand by of, you know, religion in terms of, you know, loving one's neighbour, being kind, helping people. I think that is a very good place to start. So before we conclude part two, I'd just like to ask you, for anyone that's listening has gone, do you know what, I've never even thought about religion before, maybe I want to go to a church. How, how do you even go about going to, a, say, the Sunday and, or going along to a meet or to kind mm. of a gathering, I guess, you know, how, how do, how do you do that? You know, that's a really good question because it's, it's terrifying to go to one. I say the best thing, if you have a friend who goes to church, ask them I've, that you trust as well. I think it's best to go with someone else because I think when you go to a church on your own, sometimes church, they can either be two things. They can either be like really cold, not welcoming, which is awful. And so, or sometimes too welcoming, it freaks you out and you want to <laughs> run away. Um, Whereas when I've gone to churches, they've been like that because I'm used to it, it's fine. But I think if you're an agnostic or atheist or you're just questioning, you walk in, everyone's like that, you're like, get away from me. <laughs> so I'd say find a, if you've got a friend or someone that you trust, someone that, a work colleague or something, sometimes that might even help if it's a work colleague who you're not too close with. That way, like, if it doesn't work out, it's not awkward. Yeah. But um, find someone who knows about it and go with them, say, can I come to a service one day? Even, I think a great one is like, go to like an Easter service or a Christmas service, because that's when loads of people who don't usually go to church, go oh, to church yeah. as part of a tradition. So that's a nice way of kind of getting, at least getting a look at what that church is like, who are the people? And that's the main thing. Focus on the people of that church and not the building, because that's what the church is, it's the people. It's not, it's not a building, it doesn't matter about that. Do you like what the pastor's saying? Do you like what the congregation members are saying to you or how they've received you that's what you need to be looking for in a church if you're curious about it which is a really cool thing so don't be scared be open um but also be be honest as well just say look i don't know what this is i'm yeah. just here i'm just here questioning another great thing is um house groups so uh, i'm part of a house group at my church where we meet together during the week and we sit and we read through the bible and we and we talk and we have discussions and question and i think that's a great one for non-Christians to go to as well because that's where you kind of get the real church of like, yeah. what is the Bible saying? What is this talking about? What do because, we think? Yeah. yeah, because sometimes a Sunday service can just be very, can sometimes be like a happy clappy one and very simple and not, there's not much meat to it. So if yeah. you want to get to the meat of things as well, find a good house group where a small group of Christians come together and meet and talk is very eye-opening. And there's also a thing called the Alpha Course, which is uh, exactly designed for that, mm. for like non-Christians, mm who want to kind of get to know the Bible and understand what it's about. So search Alpha Course, which it's, it's a huge thing. You'll find it e easy and there'll be one near you. So Alpha Course is the biggest one I'd suggest. Thank you so much for that. Great advice for anyone that's, uh, that, that's kind of interested or questioning. Now, thank you to everyone that's joined us for part two. I hope you've enjoyed your stomp, whether it's been in one go or whether you've done this on the second day. Thank you so much. You've achieved something. Always know that. It's amazing. You've got outside, you've got moving to your mind, your body, emotional health, your intellectual health mm. as well, and spiritual, of course. Right, we'll see you all very soon for part three. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 